Welcome once again to the So Weird Podcast. I'm Zach. I'm Emily. I'm Melissa. And I'm Jimmy. And tonight we are talking about Season 3, Episode 7, or Episode 46 altogether, which is Rewind. What is our mystery of the week? It is talent stealing, or talent theft, specialty theft, specialty absorption. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's a, that's actually one of the problems I have with the, this episode. We never really figure out what exactly is going on. We have a woman who is stealing people's abilities, but we don't know if she's a witch or if the equipment in the building is magical or if she's magical or what exactly is going on. Uh, it's rather vague. You know, I kind of thought it was a cheesy power, uh, too, and I didn't really know what was going on, and, but it just kind of worked for the episode. And I've never really seen it uh, played out in anything else, but after research, I find, did find out that uh, it's been done in other things on the Superpower Wiki. They uh, list talent theft has the ability to steal one skill and talent from others, and it's been done in uh, many other things. Yeah, Heroes, the TV show Heroes, is one thing that comes to mind. I know they did it there. Yeah, I also looked that up on, what was it, Fandom? And they said it was like the ability to steal the skill or talent from others, the technique of talent manipulation. The user can steal the physical and or mental skills, talents, and or specialties of a person. And in some cases, the user gains the skill or talent for themselves, while in other cases, they simply remove the talent from somebody else. And I guess uh, Rogue from the X-Men basically has that ability as well. So That's who came to mind for me, yeah, Rogue. I think the suggestion in the episode, at least the way I've always thought, is maybe the equipment in the recording studio is magical because they talk about all these bands who recorded their last albums here and then would never create music again, which suggests to me that this has been going on for quite a while. So I thought maybe the recording equipment itself is the magical... MacGuffin, but uh, yeah, no, it's never really explained, because if we took the time to tell you what was actually happening, that would take away from Precious Annie backstory. We have to get <laughs> that obligatory Magic Panther appearance in there. So anyway, I guess we should actually mention the plot for this episode. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the Phillips tour bus is stopping into an old recording studio, famous for being the place where many famous musicians recorded their last songs. While there, inspiration strikes Annie. She quickly writes a song and, with encouragement from Molly, decides to record it. However, the studio manager has a daughter who's a musical prodigy that can seemingly play any instrument by ear. When musicians come into the studio, they lose their magical their musical abilities while the daughter gains another. Could something fishy be going on here? And is Annie's voice next? I never thought that like it was the equipment like to me I almost had like this Greek mythology uh you know like feeling like she was some sort of creature or was she just a human with an ability but it definitely felt like it was Sarah who had the ability and was stealing all of these various artists uh talents from over time and I felt like maybe she was trying to acquire the abilities within herself and then when she had a daughter, she realized, oh, I can make my daughter, you know, this famous person. 
because maybe her time was up or she was too old or maybe she stopped following her dream when she had Jennifer. Interesting. You know, that too would have been an interesting avenue for the episode to explore. And from where I'm sitting, this really does kind of feel like an episode about parents who push their kids into something they're not really interested in, maybe to live vicariously through them. I mean, you see that all the time in the entertainment industry because it's pretty clear throughout the episode that Jennifer, the daughter, uh, does not really want the burden of these musical talents, that she's really doing it for her mother's sake, that her mom is forcing her to do this. And in fact, you know, she's against the magical ability theft that's going on here. But like I said, you know, the episode doesn't really develop it that much because it has to boost Annie. And though I bet the Alex Johnson fans in the audience and on this podcast like this episode a lot because this is sort of her first big musical number in the series. Yeah, this was definitely the episode where I was like, that's my favorite singer. And oh my God, like how amazing is her voice? How amazing was that note? How amazing is this song? Yeah, this was the episode where I was like, I'm an Uber fan. Alex Johnson is my favorite singer. Yeah, that was the reaction I was expecting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and see, I I didn't have the same reaction. Um, I remember really not liking this episode because the song was so different from anything we'd heard before. And it was so poppy, and I just didn't feel like it belonged in this show. Yeah, I didn't like it as a kid uh, for very similar reasons, but as an adult, I appreciate it. Uh, It kind of is what got me uh, searching for Alex uh, on YouTube just to see if she's made anything else. And then that's how I uh, discovered her music when I was rewatching it as an adult. Yeah. I don't want to step on any toes, but uh, I don't, I don't like the song either. (laughs) (laughs) It's really like corporate crap, but then again, it's like for the time that it came out, I was 13 so it really hit home with me. Like, I've always liked songs that kind of upbuild. And during the time that I really became a fan of So Weird, my mother had, like, lost custody of me and my siblings. I had moved in with my grandma, who I felt was, like, a jerk at the time. <laughs> and I didn't really appreciate the sacrifices she was making for me. But I really felt like this song, to myself, was something that really motivated me. You know, like, never give up, never give in. When you fall down, you got to get back up again. I really appreciated the message of it. And in my brain, my child brain, I only heard Alex singing this song. Like, I didn't realize, like, oh, well, she didn't write this song. You know, this isn't her song. It's the song of Terry Brewer and the show. But I really appreciated it. And I still listen to it to this day, like, when I listen to her music on Shuffle. Has there ever been, like, a studio release of that song? There's a demo out, but not officially released. (laughs) Right. I guess for me, I know that Alex Johnson has a great singing voice, but they alter her voice in this this episode, like, in the song. I don't know. It doesn't sound like it's just her voice, like they've kind of done some editing somehow. So I don't know if it does her voice justice, to be honest. Yeah, no, I agree that this song is the song Never Give Up is very much of the time. I mean, it's very abreast with NSYNC and Backstreet Boys and Britney Spears, whom is name dropped in this episode. All the bubblegum pop acts that were very popular at the time. I mean, it is very, very different from the type of music that had been on So Weird up to this point. And, you know, that's what season three was all about. They wanted to shift the show in a more populist direction by 
getting a big bubbly pop star in there. And, uh, you know, I think it's just something the fandom is divided on and will always be divided on. Yeah, and Alex has actually mentioned that she was offered a record deal during this time period where they pretty much wanted her to be that bubblegum pop artist. And she didn't sign the record deal. She wanted to have creative control. And, you know, they kind of moved in a different direction and they signed Hilary Duff. And Hilary Duff was kind of the big artist that came from this time period. But um, Alex was the first one who they wanted to blow up, you know, wow. in that bubblegum pop era. It's funny because when I was uh, watching this episode when and she was singing, uh, I was thinking she looks a lot like Hilary Duff in yeah. some angles. Yeah, and well. I do. I kind of feel like had she taken that avenue, she would have the creative control and the money, you know, now. And even like stars like Demi Lovato has named Alex Johnson as her absolute reason that she even picked up a guitar and started writing music. So, I mean, she definitely has influenced other artists. I, I think I read somewhere where they said Alex Johnson is the most famous person that you have probably never heard of. Yeah, no, it's interesting to think that there is probably some alternate universe where she became a much bigger pop star and performer than she ended up being, like much more well-known, I mean. My problem, though, is I still feel like, I think I said this the last time I was on the show, I still feel like Annie is sort of a weak protagonist. She's not very proactive in this episode. You know, um, the plot kind of happens around her, and she does very little to direct it. Pretty much the only thing Annie does to affect the plot is the attempt she makes to start a friendship with Jennifer, because otherwise her magical spirit panther spirit guide protector tulpa thingy mm -hmm. prevents her from losing her voice you know she hears this magical backwards message that the linguistics professor which is by the way it's convenient molly just happens to have an old linguistics professor right where they are mm -hmm. funny how that worked out and yeah. um, that happens to protect her and then later in the episode the panther appears again to save her voice you know, throughout season three, this happens over and over again. We just have these deus ex machinas of the magical panther shows up. You know it's coming as soon as you hear the tribal steel drums in the background that the magical black panther will soon appear and resolve all of Annie's problems with her. Which is just one of the problems I have with the character. She plot kind of always prevents her from solving things herself the same way, you know, I mean, the way Fee would have done. Totally I, valid points. I mean, the panther, she gets the warning whenever she daydreams. Look out, they will steal your gift. But she doesn't look out. They steal her gift, and then the panther has to save her anyway. So, Well, right. in, in her defense, she was tricked. Sarah did, um, I don't know how she managed to get the backing vocals or, or the vocals of Molly to be perfect. Because Annie was warned by Carrie, don't record anything without us. And she did try to protect herself by saying, I want to wait for everyone to get here before I record. But um, Sarah had like used Molly's voice from the previous recording, the first take, and tricked Annie into thinking Molly was behind the glass and tricked her into singing. So then her voice was stolen, right? Yeah. And I will say that was kind of clever, having Molly's voice recorded and played back. Mm -hmm. Now, I haven't been watching along quite as attentively as I should. Now, is this really the first appearance of like the like I know it was mentioned in Lightning Rod, but this is kind of the 
first time we get the beginning of the Annie Black Panther myth arc, right? I think it's been I, hinted. Yeah, it's been hinted, but I think this is the first time you really get it. And you're like, there's something about this panther. Like, this has something to do with her, and what is it? I, I wish um, Kat was here. You know, uh, Conrad, of course, is the name of the panther, as we know. <laughs> <laughs> For reasons that I'm sure she would know that I am not privy to. As a kid watching the show, I just thought that was terrible. Like, I never cared about the whole... Annie had some sort of magical encounter as a child living in the Amazon. I never had any investment in that. And even in a modern light, it's even a little problematic, isn't it? The lily white white girl gets magically protected by some American Indian spirit or South American Aztec yeah. spirit. You know, I mean, even from a modern perspective, it's a little off color, isn't it? You know, people have had issues with the plot saying that it does kind of have racist undertones because it plays on these indigenous characters and it really takes from the indigenous characters in order to amplify the white characters on the show. I wouldn't say racist because it's not like malicious, but it is politically incorrect probably. Agreed. Personally, me being like an LGBT person and growing up, you know, in Modesto, California, I really took to this character, I really did. And like when that tribal music would play, I feel butterflies. Like I grew up with this character of Annie. And for some reason, I did attach myself to her character. I attached myself to the actress and the singer behind this, this character. And it really helped me in my life and like in my growing up, my going through my puberty stage and, and finding my own voice. Annie Thalen really helped me find myself. I really appreciate the music from this season and I really appreciate the character from the show. I, and that's all I could really base it on is just that I found my favorite singer through this show and I've seen her play live 12 times. I've met her in person and she to this day feels my inspiration and I can't explain it, but it's a real thing for me personally and it started here. So I really appreciate Annie Thalen. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. obviously you are not alone in that. I mean, there are other Annie fans out there. I, I don't want to, you know, if I'm coming off as mean, I apologize. I don't no, not at all. Around. <laughs> not at all. I totally understand that it's corny and, and not a lot is explained and it. It bases itself on, you know, like out of reality. It's not really explained very much of like, what the hell is going on here in this season? And I was upset when Fee was replaced, but I really took to Annie quickly because uh, of her, her music talent. Go ahead, uh, Melissa. Yeah, I was just going to say, totally understand that. Honestly, that's kind of how I feel about Fee. Totally understand that connection to a character and just loving them all around. We hear that from a lot of Alex Johnson's fans, or I have at least. They got into her from the show, and, and that's great. There is some things I do like at those episodes. I actually really like the actress who plays Jennifer. Her name is Britt Urban, and she is actually a, a singer. We were discussing this before the podcast, that she has released a couple songs online. Yeah. Sadly, they're only semi-demos, but she has two demos that you can find on YouTube called New Road and Beautiful. And yeah, she was trying to really embark on her singing career, 
but she is an actress in many things and she still considers herself a musician to this day. She's married to a musician. She loves music and she's always writing and playing music. You can find various videos online of her performing live and singing. Yeah, looking at her IMDb page, she has been in quite a few things. It has uh, even uh, voice acting credits here. It looks like she was um, X-23 on X-Men Evolution, and she's done a couple other things. And, you know, I noticed this, that both Britt Irvin and the actress who plays her mother, Barbara Tyson, have kind of like a Kevin Bacon-esque connection to Alex Johnson. Because uh -huh. Britt was on Smallville, where she played Stargirl, and Alex was on Smallville playing Saturn Girl. And Barbara Tyson was in the first Final Destination, and Alex Johnson was, of course, in the third Final Destination. I couldn't help but make those leaps there. Also to be noted, uh, she was in a movie musical called Reefer Madness alongside with right. Alex. Oh, Alex was in the Reefer Madness musical? Yeah. Uh -huh. oh, you know, I know I've seen it. I don't remember her in it, though, but okay. okay. It's a very small role where there's the Listen to Jesus, Jimmy song. And <laughs> does, that, does that resonate with you personally, Jimmy? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Um, I do not smoke marijuana, but it definitely does oh resonate God. with me. Britt and Alex are both Arquette girls in that. And so in the background, the camera spans on them several times, but they're the Arquette girls during that musical scene and they're singing the Listen to Jesus Jimmy song. Oh, so not only are they in the movie together, they're in the same scene together. They yeah. are the Arquette girls. There's only three Arquette girls and wow. they're, they are two of them. I wonder if they've reminisced about So Weird when they were filming that together. Yeah, they are friends. Um, I don't know if they like still talk, but I know Alex has said Britt is her friend. Oh, well, that's cool. You know, their scenes together, I think, are among the better ones in this episode, which, you know, I, I don't, I, you know, like I said, I have my gripes about this episode, but I, I think this one's okay. You know, I, I, it's one of the slightly better season three episodes for me personally. I wish there was more of molly and jack like i really feel like jack gets the shaft in this one i think he has like all of one interesting notable scene in this where uh, he says he's going to spend some time with mr history book or whatever and then later we discover he was actually spending time with mr playstation apparently which is a cute little moment mm -hmm. yeah and molly was joining him <laughs> i thought it was really funny like the scene that opens up where carrie says that this is the graveyard of last albums and then as soon as molly says wow that is so creepy jack goes well that's my cue to go do my homework right <laughs> jack ever the skeptic yeah i did like that moment yeah and molly wasn't so skeptical in this episode like i can't believe she actually called her linguistics friend to ask about the language that she heard and annie's you know playback uh, <laughs> I thought that was interesting. And then what was even more interesting is that, you know, Molly was trying to convince Annie that something was going on here and Annie was trying to talk her out of it. It just felt so backwards to me. Like, Annie yeah, that's like, a good point. It's probably just one of those weird things. And it's like, really? What's going on here? <laughs> yeah. And I guess if you want to look for a quote unquote real world phenomenon in this episode, you know, there has been a lot of uh, pseudoscientific discussion about reverse speech and secret messages and recordings and such. So I guess there is a little bit of that in here, even if it's not the main point of the episode. Yeah. yeah. The whole back masking thing, oh, yes. which, which is really freaky because a lot of songs you can hear like, whoa, did they say a word there? But it was very interesting that there was a language there. And during the period where we very first hear the language, I was thinking, was Annie possessed? Because... <laughs> 
it spans on Annie and she's like, Ikako say, Akako, you know, and I'm like, whoa, like, why is she speaking the language in this scene? Like, was yeah. she possessed by the panther? That was strange. It is a weird moment. It, it's weird. It's even weirder because no one else seems to notice that she's doing this or comment on it in any way. Yeah. yeah, although when you say, is Annie possessed, I immediately imagine, like, Alex Johnson in the Linda Blair exorcist, you know, who's viewing uh-huh. pea soup and all that, which is a pretty hilarious image with the pigtails, you know. <laughs> which is so funny because she plays in a movie called Devil's Diary. Oh, yeah? Has she done a, de- a demon movie? <laughs> cool. Oh, she's done several. She only plays in, like, really dark things or things that have to do with the supernatural. That's one thing that I really resonate to Alex for is that she loves dark roles. <laughs> I did not know that. I'll admit my Alex education is pretty limited. <laughs> Dude, you, you gotta watch The Devil's Diary. I will put that on my letterbox list, Jimmy, just for you. <laughs> watch yeah, it. it's one of the better movies, Susan, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think outside of this, I've seen, like, uh, Final Destination 3. I saw the episode of Smallville she was on. I didn't remember she was in Free for Madness, but I have seen that, so that's one other thing. And uh, what was that? She did some other kids show uh made star number one star was that her that was her right instant star instant star I, i've seen like one or two episodes of that but outside of that my i'll admit my alex johnson knowledge is pretty limited instant more than me star. instant star is like her breakout role really because she recorded so many songs for it and it lasted four seasons and there were four actually five soundtracks if you include the greatest hits soundtrack but yeah, most of her fans... See, you know way more about that. it than I do. <laughs> well, like, Drake actually guest appeared in the show, so she's, like, worked with Drake. She went on to write music for Bruno Mars. She's written with, like, so many artists. That's why they this article had said she was the most famous person you probably never heard of because she's done all this background stuff that a lot of people don't really know or identify her with. Yeah, well, I mean, like, those names you mentioned, Drake, Bruno Mars, these people are hugely popular. Huh. I'm learning yeah. all sorts of things tonight. Like I say, like I say, Demi Lovato had actually seen an episode of Instant Star, and she said Alex Johnson is the reason she picked up a guitar and wanted to be a singer. And thus, we see Demi Lovato as a Disney star. But Alex was the beginning of Demi Lovato's career, and you could find a YouTube video of her saying this. Is Demi Canadian too? No. Born and raised in Texas. Oh, okay. Yeah, wow. which she was just recently hospitalized for a drug overdose. So yeah, today that came. I just read that. And Mackenzie Phillips actually tweeted about it because, of course, she's a drug and alcohol counselor. I was so sad to hear that because due to her Alex connection, I, I don't really I'm not a huge fan. I don't listen to her music that much. I have heard a lot of songs, but um, I just hope she gets well. And like we're sending you love, Demi Lovato, definitely. So does anybody have any other thoughts about Rewind specifically? Um, I thought it was strange that Jennifer says, well, she's not that great. She's no Britney. And I just like, <laughs> I, I roll on that part every time I hear it because I'm like, Alex could sing Britney into the grave. But um, Yes. And there's so much controversy about Britney Spears and whether or not she lip syncs. It, it was well, pretty funny. I thought the same thing. Like, I remember I was there. You know, I remember that Britney was quite a contested talent in the day. So it was funny. They threw that out as the example. She should have said Christina. (laughs) But I love that the mom is like, don't be silly. You heard her. She has the perfect voice. And I remember like some fans like talking smack about Alex's voice. And I like made some memes of the mom, Jennifer, and where she's like, she has the perfect voice. 
I always found it weird and too convenient that the reverse uh, recording sounded like the language. But uh, in this most recent rewatch, I got a new theory about that. The chanting isn't coming uh, from the reverse song, but maybe the Panthers in the studio beside Annie. And uh, this theory actually fits really nicely with the intro, uh, where Annie says the recording equipment has gotten so good, it can pick up on stuff uh, you don't hear. Mm. Ah. Well, you know, the Panther can do anything, so why not? Yeah. (laughs) And did you guys notice when it shows the image of the panther walking through the grass that wasn't actually a black panther it was like a yellow panther yeah it did have like a white nose so i I knew it wasn't a black panther well i i mean i don't know the exact behind the scenes details here but i'm a i was under the impression that the actors very rarely interacted with an actual panther like it seems to me there's a lot of digital cropping there i I can't even tell if the panther's actually there sitting on the desk if it is it must be a very very heavily sedated cat but um i mean it it looks to me yeah, it's it looks computerized. Yeah, green yeah. screen or something. Pretty clearly, it is. Yeah. Um, and speaking of some shoddy special effects, what do we think of those magical CGI wavy music beams? I kind of liked it. Like that's where I kind of got this like whole Greek mythology thing. I really felt like, and I had to do research. Like, is she like a creature or is she a human with the ability? I don't know, but I really liked that she had that power. Like, if I had a superpower, I would probably want this superpower to, like, steal somebody's voice. Yeah. I mean, I'm horrible. But um, <laughs> how she, like, is totally telling her daughter, like, jealousy is okay, and she encourages jealousy in her daughter. That's where I kind of got the background that maybe she was the one stealing the voice from the Orange Wind and Stacy and willing disbelief like all these bands that had their records in the graveyard of last records i think it was the mother who was taking all the their abilities because she wanted to be famous but it never happened for her and so like when her daughter was born she realized oh i could create a prodigy yeah and some great fake band names there uh like willing disbelief like oh i can hear that i bet they sound like talk talk or peter gabriel you know that's what (laughs) that's what willing disbelief sounds like in my brain and i thought it was ironic that patrick levis's character jack is the one who says oh willing disbelief because he happens to be like really uber christian and he's very deep in his own religious beliefs so i thought it was interesting that he's the one that was like willing disbelief or it even works with jack as a character with his disbelief in the supernatural that crops oh. over and over again good catch because he has willing disbelief yeah you know, with this show, it's sometimes hard to know if they did that on purpose or not. <laughs> That's yeah. pretty blatant. I would like to. I would hope that was on purpose. <laughs> right. So, anything else uh, we want to talk about with rewind? I guess just one more thing about the mom. Is her name Sarah? Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Okay. She. I guess an obvious comparison would be to Ursula from The Little Mermaid. Okay. Voices. Um, <sighs> But, you know, it's been so long since I saw that movie. Ursula stole the voices for herself, though, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Doesn't she, like, keep them um, somewhere? Oh, there's, like, some magical... I have not seen this movie in years either, but I seem to recall her putting the voice into something. Or am I mixing this up with some other cartoon? I think yeah. she put it into a shell, and the right. shell was on a necklace. 
and um, that's where she kept the voice. And then when the when the necklace broke, that's when the voice was able to go back into Ariel. Right. See, I knew it was something like that. Thank you for backing me up there. Oh, yeah. and that makes me think. Okay, so at the end of the episode, you know, after the Panther like starts up the recording again, I don't know. I guess I'm a little confused. Does the Panther give Annie back her voice? Because she starts singing, right? Like everything's normal, but then well, Jennifer I'm, like points her hand over and starts giving her all her, her like talent back. It was a little confusing. Well, I wrote in my notes that the Panther protected Annie and made it to where Sarah wasn't able to steal all of her voice. Okay. And that's why she like, I mean, I don't know. That's just my theory because of course she did start singing before Jennifer gave her back all of her talent. I like that theory. Yeah. It ma makes it make a lot more sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess. Although she was going, my voice, and like talking, like she actually lost her speaking voice too. Yeah, again, it's just, it's vague, isn't it? Like there's not a lot of explanation for what the hell is happening in this episode. Uh -huh. yeah. And I thought it was interesting that the chant wasn't um, just random. The <laughs> professor actually says that the Peruvian tribe used this chant to protect their spirit from neighboring tribes trying to steal their spirit. So it wasn't just like a random chant that it could go say, you know, it was something that the tribe actually uses as a spell to protect themselves. Yeah, that's actually something else I looked up when I was uh, looking up uh, the superpower of the episode, I guess. The only thing I could find is the photographs stealing souls, and that's for another podcast episode. <laughs> now, they did that too. <laughs> mm -hmm. I wish Kat was here because I know she must have thoughts if the... the the Carrie Annie shippers out there, I know they exist. They must exist. There are shippers for every possible combination of characters on the show, even though there's like 12 people in the entire fandom somehow. Um, <laughs> but Carrie and Annie do get like a short little scene there. That and, and now, you know, thanks to this podcast, I now can't watch any two characters have a casual interaction on the show that could be completely <laughs> meaningless without assuming someone out there watches that and think, oh, that's a crumb. That's a hint. They really love each other. <laughs> <laughs> I love when Annie, like, you know, she says, do you want to read my notes, uh, Jennifer? And and then the mom's like, no, Jennifer doesn't read music. She It all comes naturally. And Carrie's, like, humming this song. And Annie, like, gives him this side glance, like, stop, you know? I thought that was really funny. And I also felt like, whoa, the only person who really picked up on the fact that they were stealing talent was Carrie. Yeah, that's something I really like about this episode. Why? I think it's just uh, different. He's the one who realizes there's something weird going on first with the guitarist, and then walking into Jennifer playing the same song as the guitarist was. Yeah, I was just thinking he's, he's come a long way from uh, not knowing which president is on the quarter. <laughs> <laughs> and he's also the only one who like kind of whispers to Annie like hey don't record anything without us like wait till we're here to record anything and that kind of told me like well like Carrie's the only one like picking up on what's going on you know which yeah. is unusual so are we ready for ratings yeah I am. okay all right I would give this one a five out of ten 
Because, you know, I, I really think the interaction between Jennifer and her mom is interesting. And that's the aspect of the episode that draws me in. And I wish it focused more on that. Because otherwise, I mean, as I said, I have a lot of other problems with how vague it is. And the whole Deus Ex Machina with the Panther showing up and resolving everybody's problems at the end. I give this one a thumbs down. I don't really like the song. It, the plot of the episode's a little too confusing for me. I, you know, I do like the relationship between Jennifer and her mom, but I think the ending is a little heavy-handed. With mom saying, "What else could you possibly want?" and she says, "I want you. I want you." It's just a little too much. So, yeah, ultimately a thumbs down for me. Yeah, I think I'd give it uh, probably 6.5 and just because while there are some good moments, it's not really the best episode. But I do like the song and I do like uh, Carrie's being the one who kind of finds everything out. Yeah. And I have to like disagree with all of you. Like, to <laughs> me, I'm like with me, this is like a nine out of ten episode for me because, first of all, we're starting to get the background of Annie. We're starting to learn a little more about the Peruvian trip. I love that she gave Jennifer her pendant, and I just thought that was a really beautiful moment of Jennifer being like, "What a beautiful pendant!" And Annie's like, "Why don't you have it?" You know something for you, you know, because she always wanted to travel. I just thought that was so sweet. And she then learned that from Fee. Right. Getting her the ring. Right. They say pass it on, right? Pass it on. I love that Britt Irvin really went above and beyond in this episode. I know you were saying you had a few qualms with that scene, but I love that scene and I felt like Britt Irvin deserved like a childhood Emmy or like a Gemini Award for that role because she she cried. I really believed that moment of her crying to her mother, like, I can't take this anymore. You're giving me all of this talent. I feel like it's stealing. I feel like you're hurting these people and I can't take it. And I, I just want my mom, you know, like all I want is my mother. I don't want this. This isn't what I want. I don't want to be famous even though she tells Annie earlier, like, I'm, I love music, I'm gonna be famous one day. I really felt like she did an amazing role. Like her acting was amazing in this episode. She cried, it was believable. There were many tears. I don't know, I loved it. I loved the song, I loved Alex's voice. And this was the episode where I was like, hands down, that's my favorite singer. And I was hooked on mm -hmm. Alex Johnson after this, it sold the Annie character to me. So I love it and I give it a nine out of 10. I would agree with you that Britt Irvin did a really good job. And even in the scene that I was talking about, she, you know, she acted the part perfectly. I just think the dialogue in that scene was a little, it didn't feel very natural to me, but yeah, totally see where you're coming from. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think, you know, she's my favorite thing about the episode. I think she does a good job as well. We have a lot of feedback tonight, guys. Mm -hmm. um, sorry about the delay in the podcast getting out. Got some scheduling changes going on. So our first comment is from Nisea Lucero. I'm sorry if I'm butchering your name. Uh, this was on our Singularity episode on YouTube. And they said, well, they're bringing back Bug Juice, which was on Disney Channel around the same time as So Weird was, so you never know. I'm guessing we were talking about the possibility of So Weird coming back, as we do 
virtually every episode. It comes <laughs> up. Uh. Yeah. That's interesting they brought up Bug Juice because it just premiered a couple days ago and this comment was from a little while back, I guess. Have you all watched the new show? Nope. I was not even aware that this existed. I remember Bug Juice, like, back from my teen days. Uh, wasn't it, like, a reality show of, like, kids in some, like, survivor camp? Yeah, it was kind of like a reality show, real-world sort of thing about kids in a, just a regular summer camp, wasn't it, or something? Yes, mm. it was a summer camp. Yeah. Um, I remember the theme song, Bug Juice, comes in a jug, from who you are. Yeah, whatever, something like that, right? I don't know why that has stuck with me all these years. It was my first experience with reality television, so I have some fond memories of watching it. No, you, you didn't. You never uh, gathered around the TV and watched Cops with your dad, Emily. <laughs> Not before Bug Juice, but anyway, yeah, I did kind of start watching the first episode of the reboot just to kind of see what it was like, and I don't know. It felt pretty weird watching a kids' reality television show as an adult, so I stopped. Um, <laughs> And did actually, they keep the theme song? They didn't really. I mean, oh. <laughs> there's kind of references to it in the opening music. It says, like, real kids, having fun, which is what they say in the old theme song. But apparently it's not doing very well at all, ratings-wise. It's only getting, like, oh, 500,000 viewers. Yeah, I don't I really imagine it doing that good in this generation. I don't know why. Well, yeah. the whole reality show thing doesn't have the novelty that it did back then. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> but anyway, thank you for the comment. Sarah Elizabeth Byrne commented on our Voodoo episode, and she stated that she loved the Teen Witch reference, that it was one of her favorite movies growing up. So to find out that Robin Lively and Eric Lively were related made her so happy she says i don't know if you remember this or not but there was a voodoo doll scene in teen witch as well robin's character made one of a teacher that she didn't like and i don't remember if she wound up doing anything with it but i know her mom and brother did so throughout a few scenes you see the brother kick it down the stairs and then the teacher falls down the stairs at school and it winds up dirty, so the mom puts it in the washer, and you see him enter a car wash with no car, just by himself. It was kind of a funny scene. So thank you so much, Sarah Elizabeth Byrne, for catching that, yes, um, Robin Lively, Eric Lively, and Blake Lively are all siblings, and what a great catch. Thank you so much. The Lively acting dynasty there. Uh, yeah. You know, I do remember Teen Witch. I don't remember that scene, but I vaguely recall the film. <laughs> I remember that scene. I just saw the movie. It was a really funny scene, and she's right. There was a whole like voodoo section of the film, and that was really funny. Unbelievable, but funny. Our next comment is from the Lightning Rod episode, I believe. Yep. And this is from Moonlight Real. I agree with everything you said, and I like Annie. I think Alex Johnson is just lovely, and Annie's an interesting character that her episode totally fails to use to their best advantage. The Panther story could have been great, but it ended up so forgettable that, well, I forgot it. So here's my idea instead. Annie is a chosen one, like Fee, destined to protect South America from its local part of the evil. When Annie was three, the evil tried to kill off her parents since the evil likes to orphan anyone who might mess with its evil plans. But somehow toddler Annie, along with the local shaman types, foiled the evil and saved Annie's folks. 
and as part of that battle, little Annie bonded with the panther spirit. Or, alternatively, the panther is actually a hot shapeshifter dude who will resume human form once Annie's old enough to for them to get shippy. Tongue sticky oh out emoji. Um, oh well, goodness. you know, that is some interesting fan fiction ideas you've got there, Moon Knight. <laughs> Especially considering the fact that the shaman was like an old chubby guy who was like a grandpa. <laughs> yeah, the first theory is kind of interesting, but then the second one, yeah, no. I think they're thinking about Twilight. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you know, I also don't think they are being entirely serious with that suggestion. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> thank you for the feedback, Moonlight. E even the Annie fans have expressed some disappointment with the way that storyline played out. But uh. <laughs> We got a comment from Kobe Lucia again. Sorry if I'm butchering your name. This is on the Mutiny episode on YouTube. I just free finished re-watching this episode, and it's great. Very emotionally engaging. Ned being possessed was kind of scary, and it really was a great way to send Clue off to college. I don't know about you, but I like Carrie and Clue together, but when Carrie's by himself, he's not that interesting. The Clue-Carrie dynamic is so fun, silly, and childlike. You can tell they love each other and as brothers. What do you think of the fact that Disney tried to make Eric Von Detten into a hotshot actor? Also, did you guys know he was the voice of Sid in Toy Story? I did not know that. <laughs> I did. <laughs> yeah, me too. Definitely. Yeah, I read it in some BuzzFeed article, probably. Yeah, no, I agree that the clue carry dynamic is good, and I wish we had seen more of it. Um, and as for Disney trying to make him a quote-unquote hotshot actor, I mean, he was in this and Brink and then that short-lived sitcom he was on whose name i can never remember i believe that was on abc so i disney might have had something to do with producing that i guess uh and uh, princess diaries which was a disney movie oh he's in that there was another show that he was on called dinosaur which actually didn't do that well it got canceled like after the first season but he was on a show called dinosaur wait 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 is this not the same thing as dinosaurs the jim henson production no, uh, it's, is it's, this the one with the animated, the really creepy animatronic, animatronic? I don't know. Yes, dinosaurs. Yeah. Oh, crap. not the old like '80s show, but yeah, it had animatronic dinosaurs. It was kind of like a Jurassic Park type show. I I only saw like an episode back in the day. I, but oh, you are you talking about Dinotopia? Maybe. I believe he was in um Dinotopia. Dinotopia yeah. is a series of wonderful books, these beautifully illustrated, like, coffee table-style books about this uh, secret civilization of dinosaurs on this little isolated island. Um, and I do remember the television adaptation, though it was short-lived. i completely forgotten. I just, man, my memory is not worth shit tonight. I, um, <laughs> anyway, thank you for the feedback. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this comment is from uh, Marskeens uh, on the Voodoo episode. Uh, absolutely loved the voodoo song by Molly, one of the best songs by Molly, and this episode was one of the best for sure of season three. Uh, I don't really uh, agree with those comments, but uh, you do you. <laughs> you do you. To each their own. Yeah. I do think it's one of the best of season three. I will agree on that. I think it's one of the better season three songs. I like you know, I'll say that much. 
I don't know. Like, I feel like it didn't have very many lyrics. And I just really love Molly's songs, like Different Story and Thinking About Tomorrow. Like, I feel like those are definitely stronger than Voodoo. But I love Voodoo and I love the episode. And the song is beautiful. I do really like the episode and the song needs more to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, you know, in the... When I was making my so weird soundtrack all by myself, I actually had to loop the chorus a couple of times to make it like actual song length and get around the dialogue and such. <laughs> Coming from our fountain episode, uh, we have another comment from Nisaya Lucero, and it says, "Am I the only one who episode? Oh, okay. Am only one who episode is weird." I mean, if a top ten weird live action Christmas special. This episode would be on the list, and I know what you said about the Halloween episode, but in my opinion, I like better than I did this one. I think maybe they're saying that, um, yeah, they just think the episode was weird. Yeah, they seem to be saying it's a weird Christmas episode, which uh, I agree. <laughs> now, Fountain is one of my absolute favorite episodes, so yeah, definitely. I have to disagree. This is from Nisea on the John Wiseman interview. Uh, It's cool that you got to talk to John Wiseman. I just started to watch So Weird. I'm on season two right now, and I listen to some old podcast episodes. Also, if you can find a way, I would like to join on the podcast sometime and talk to you about the show. Also, what I think would be cool, if you could get an interview with the actor that played Fee uh, from the show, that would be really cool. Hope you get to do some of that someday. Uh, As for wanting to get an interview with uh, Kara, you know, we have all expressed a great desire to do that, but I think it's very, very unlikely. Kara seems to like her privacy. So as much yeah. as I would love to interview her for the show, I think the odds of that happening are about as likely as Disney bringing the show back. So. Oh. <laughs> Ultimately, yeah. I think, um, you know, if in this day and age, if a celebrity or an actor doesn't have like a public social media page, it's probably just a sign that they want to, you know, their privacy respected. And so yeah. I, we will respect that. She's been a child actor her whole life and up into her adult teens or like 20s. So I think she's just over it and she just wants her privacy. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to speculate on the reasoning, but just just it's pretty clear that, yeah, she is not interested in reaching out or anything. So but thank you for the comment. Here's one from Andrea. I'm not sure which episode this one's on, but she says, hi, all. I have been so busy as of late. I apologize for not leaving feedback. Zach, I thought it was interesting an, an interesting point when you asked if the kids in the town needed an occasional dose of the Bengal Bai to maintain their personal behavior or their perfect behavior. It reminded me of the episode Listen when the young farmer told his mother that the mind reading effects wear off after a few days in the event that the wheat is avoided in that time. I will be interested to hear what you have to say on Rewind. On the plus side, Never Give Up is my sister's favorite of Andy's songs, and I enjoy it too. But in hindsight, I don't feel as though that episode has much of a plot. When Andy's voice is stolen, the panther doesn't do anything other than show up, and suddenly she is able to sing again. And then Annie was fortunate that Jennifer had conscience enough to return her voice, after which she was easily able to talk her mother out of stealing other talents to transfer to her. This episode is a good example of some of the points you raised, Zach, about Annie being able to easily get out of her predicaments without having to work too hard to do so. What do you think of the title of this episode? 
It doesn't seem to have much to do with anything except for the backward message in Annie's song, which doesn't do much for the episode itself. It only serves the audience with further suggestion that there is something very real about the Panther, and it is definitely not just a, fig- a dream or a figment of Annie's imagination. Okay, well, you know, first off, we hear once again from Andrea, our Green Power Ranger, our Billy Preston, the secret fifth host of the podcast, who is somehow able to predict all the points we raise <laughs> before we actually record. <laughs> <laughs> As for the title, Rewind, I mean, I think it's just, you know, it's an episode with musical equipment. It's catchy. There's a recording. You probably just picked it because it sounded good. It does sound like that was made on our Bangle by episode, maybe. Yes, yeah. I like the point that she made about listen and how it compared to bang oh by i hadn't really thought of it yeah well you know as with both that episode and this episode there's just lots of unanswered questions floating around in there season three seems to have a bit of a problem with that and to be fair seasons one and two sometimes have that problem too so this is also from andrea on the john wiseman interview she said i loved listening to the interview with dave ward and this time around it was nice to hear about the show from the perspective of one of its writers my favorite question for him was whether he would participate in a so weird reboot if there was ever one and he responded with an immediate yes he'd not even have to ponder the question thank you podcasters and thank you ever so much john wiseman yes well you know once again all of our guests on the show that have had some involvement with so weird you know it's so cool that they are able to appear with us and you know, as always, you know, thank you, Andrea, for being a constant supporter of the podcast. Yeah, and I really enjoyed being in on that interview. It was it was very cool to hear from him. And yeah, again, just hearing someone else involved with the show, you know, saying how much they enjoyed being part of it was really special. Yeah, I mean, it's something we've seen twice now. And from other things we've read, you know, people have really positive memories of So Weird. Everybody who worked on the show really loved working on it. It is, and we need to talk about that off air. But anyway, (laughs) all right. Uh, Does anyone have anything else to bring up? No, I I don't really have any. Is there any news in the Sotosphere that uh, we need to discuss? Uh, Yeah, I have one. I just remembered. Uh, Buffy is coming back. Yes, Josh Whedon is desperate for people to like him again after quite a few uh, personal and financial public disasters. And um, yeah, no, he's finally rebooting. He's both bringing back Dr. Horrible as a comic, and he's rebooting Buffy with a African-American actress in the lead. And wow, yeah, uh, but it seems like a lot of the stuff I've heard is that people seem to be confused over whether or not this is going to be a hard reboot or is this going to be a continuation because that word reboot has come to mean both of those things. I'm hoping for a continuation. I might actually be interested in watching that, but if it's like a hard reboot, no. I honestly am not interested, although I would love to see... uh, a spinoff based on the past, uh, maybe the first Slayer or uh, any Slayer before Buffy. I think that would be an interesting story. Yeah. So you you like wouldn't be interested if they go off of like a new Slayer because one has to come after her, right? Uh, well, do you remember the the season seven finale? Okay, we can't get into spoiler territory here. But yes, there could be another Slayer after Buffy. And there's also been um, a bunch of comics that Josh had. He wrote a few and he had approval on. and They are supposedly canon. I, uh, I read the comic for a while and to be frank, I thought it was pretty terrible. 
I read season eight, I guess, and I didn't like it either. No, I and I, I know they went. I think they got up to like season 10 in the comics. But, um, you know, with Buffy, it's hard to say. I think there's obviously still a big fan demand for more. I mean, the act, most of the principal actors are still around, still doing stuff. Um, you know, there's definitely still a very passionate fan base. Uh, as for a reboot, I mean, I guess I'll check it out. You know, I mean, there's potential there to do just about anything. But I think I'm not surprised that the fandom is hungry for more of the original continuity because there's still a lot of mythology they could handle. I mean, as Melissa said, they could easily do a prequel. In fact, if they even if they wanted to keep with having an African-American lead, they could go with, um, I cannot remember the character's name. She was the Slayer in the 70s that fought Spike in the subway, and she was the mother of the principal in season seven. I just The name is escaping yeah. me right now. I mean, so they could still do that. You know, we'll, we'll just see. I'll keep my eye on it. I know Josh is not, he's taking kind of a hands-off role on this. I know they have a woman um, is going to be the primary showrunner, which again, I'm sure is to negate some of the, oh, let's just say problems Josh has had within the last two years. But uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And also uh, Rugrats is coming back. Uh, yeah, they're doing a live action CGI movie, which sounds like the worst thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> they're also doing a Bringing it back in cartoon form for right twenty six episodes or something. I mean, I, I watched Rugrats as a kid. I enjoyed it. I have not watched it recently, um, but just you know, I mean, even as somebody who obtensely is a fan of that show, the character designs for the babies are terrifying. I mean, like they're really, really ugly. <laughs> so the, the prospect of that being converted into live action as a CGI thing. I mean, presumably the babies will be CGI because I don't know about you guys, but I'm pretty sure it's pretty difficult to get a baby to like hit a cue and, you know, get a line out there. So um, that just sounds like nightmare fuel to me, but. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I enjoyed Rugrats as a kid too. Yeah. I think most of us did. Yeah. I guess, you know, these two news stories about reboots, it just highlights what's so frustrating for me about so weird because all these reboots are for shows that typically ended the way they were supposed to end, you know, and then we have so weird that didn't go the way it was supposed to. And it's just frustrating. Yeah. And a lot of these are like nineties, early two thousands properties. Kim possible is another one getting a reboot and, um, or a live action movie or something. And, uh, it is frustrating. Cause like, we're kind of at that age now, you know, us, us goddamn millennials were all hungry for our childhood. So the nostalgia machine is allowing us to be refed the things we loved as children. And, you know, so weird is right in that demographic and just, it's being passed over like it always is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anything else guys? No. All right. I, I think in that case, we can hit stop on this tape and wrap up another episode of the So Weird Podcast. I'm Zach. I'm Emily. I'm Melissa. And I'm Jimmy. And as always, keep the faith and thank you for listening. Bye. You bet.